What's up, y'all? I'm Otil. And I'm Mike. And we are on Patreon. Get on the bus, you guys. Get your bus pass. We put out an additional episode every week where we answer questions from you. Or sometimes we may just get off on a tangent about something important or cool that happened that day or a couple days ago. Yeah, it's Otil and I catching up and you are invited. So if you head to patreon.com slash comes a time pod, uh, you can join us. Uh, you can get the bus pass. We have some incredible merch coming soon. Uh, we've got a lot of great surprises. So uh, we would love to have you guys head on over. Yes. Most of all, we want to connect with you. So uh, get on the bus, y'all. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Comes a Time. I'm Mike. I'm O'Teal. We got a good one for you this time. The amazing Kat Dyson. She's a guitar player that's played with Prince, Natalie Cole, Ziggy Marley, Cindy Lauper, Seal. I think she's the only one to play with George Clinton and Donny Osmond. I don't know <laughs> if anyone else can say that. I don't know. But man, yeah. what a party, huh? <laughs> And look, she has got some stories. <laughs> and in researching her too, that that was the thing that kind of blew me away was the versatility. I think that's something that, and I even tried to bring it up with her. And I don't know if like, it's just so cool to think about musicians that can just like, that are so malleable and so like chameleonic, I guess, right. That can go from like situation to situation and just kill it and, and keep going. And that's so, um, she's a real inspiration in that way. Thank you for, I'm so glad she came on. Yeah, I'm glad that she came to town. She came to Boca and was playing with Nikki Glaspie and Nigel Hall and Matt Lapham, you know, all friends of mine. And I've known Kat much longer than I've known those guys, but we just don't see each other that often. And like being with her again and just sitting down. And she told Nigel, I'll beat you with your own belt. I was like, oh, man, we got to have her on the show. She's got that energy, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, uh, dude. She's just great. So well, I'm really glad we had her on. Yeah, I think the listeners are going to love it. And as always, guys, thanks for listening. We love you. You can find us on Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash comes a time pod. We're proud members of the Osiris family, and there's so many amazing podcasts over at osirispod.com. Uh, check them out. Enjoy cat. Stay safe. Happy uh, whatever this is, whenever you hear this. Uh, we love you. Be good. <laughs> hey, Osiris listeners. We want to tell you about our friends at Sunset Lake CBD who support this show. Sunset Lake CBD is a Vermont hemp farm crafting affordable CBD products designed to help with sleep and stress without breaking the bank. If you haven't tried CBD before, take it from me. It's a game changer. I use Sunset Lakes Tincture every night before I go to bed, helping me get solid, restful sleep. And their gummies are great for daytime. Check out their new Good Vibes gummies, which have just a bit of hemp-derived THC to help you relax and unwind. Sunset Lake CBD crafts products with hemp grown on their family farm and ships them directly to customers. They have tinctures, salves, edibles, coffee, smokables, and even pet products. By the way, their CBD chocolate fudge is awesome. Check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use coupon code TIME for 20% off all products. Sunset Lake CBD, farmer-owned, Vermont-grown.
It's so good to see you, Mama. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. I'm doing what I can and not worried about what I can. You know. (laughs) (laughs) You're always my inspiration for that. Yeah, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. Uh, People may not know, but Kat recently came to town where I live in Boca and played with Nikki Glasby and Nigel Hall and Matt Lapham. And I went to see them and sat in and just was reminded we don't get to hang out that often. You know? I know. I know. And people think that we do. But, you know, you yeah. know, right folks just think, oh, musicians, oh, you're always with each other. Oh, we're, you know, there is a business to this music business that keeps us from really having the time that people think we have. Yeah. Well, I was I had been telling Mike about you for a while because uh, I was like, oh, she'd be perfect. Really, probably since Justice Come Alive, speaking Uh, of your hat, we were talking about right before. It's when you mentioned it. And I've been like, get her on. It's so (laughs) nice to have you on finally. So nice to be here. The beautiful thing about the pandemic, I guess, the one good thing that we found was Otiel and I have kind of sat off air and been like, you'd love this person. I can't wait to get them on. And he's like, you're going to love this person. So you're, you're the, I'm dying to, to fall in love with you here today. So uh, well, love <laughs> is all around, darling. It's all around. It's the one free thing we can pass out and not get in trouble. <laughs> That's right. You're good with the tough love too, though. I remember when, uh, well, you know, you got to take that with the good with the bad, you know I mean? Everybody's kind of, you know, speaking a lot about, these unprecedented times and how things are so in flux. Things are in flux anyway. Things change anyway. That's an illusion. Any Anybody that thinks that anything is just sedentary and it's not going to change, it's not really on this earth space-time continuum, <laughs> in my <laughs> humble opinion, because, you know, a rock is not in the same place it was the day before. Absolutely. Any, anything that's organic is changing. Including our lives, our times, our bodies, our minds. Everything's changing. Everything's in flux. So, you know, this is just a more visible, hey, this is the flux in your face, but it's there every day. So, you know, folks ask me, well, how do you deal with the mental whatever? I'm like, it's just more of the same. It's just a rhythm, you know? Mm. Sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower. Maybe no. being a musician helps you with that because uh, when you could see it as a rhythm, you're like, okay, today is up tempo. All right. It's like, all right, maybe we can slow today down. Is <laughs> Cherokee Bebop at, uh, at 200. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you talk about flux, I've read something in your bio that I didn't know. Uh-huh. Um, and it said you were born in the South. What part of the South? Virginia. Virginia. So it's yeah. from the South to Minneapolis to Montreal to Los Angeles. Yeah. So t- yeah. talk about flux. That's like but New York is in there too, but I just, you know, all the M's look good. So I put that in there, but New York was in there for quite a while. <laughs> That's so quite were, a journey. How, how many years is that gap? Like, did you move a lot when you were a child? Oh, no, 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 no. My dad was uh, uh, an ex-Army guy, so we were in the Norfolk, Newport, News, Hampton Roads, Virginia Beach area, which is, you know, where he and I met. Um, And I uh, went to college at Norfolk State University in Virginia, which is where I met the Rudens and 
Teal and all of us, you know, kind of congregated around together in that area because very military. So when my dad got out, um, you know, I think we were his second family. He had married before and he had a first wife. So um, we didn't move around a lot. But after college, I went to Montreal with an original band with a few of my classmates from uh, Virginia, uh, Slim Williams, Eric Roberts. And we got together with Harold Fisher and uh, two friends of theirs from Cincinnati. And uh, we formed a band. It was first called Malika. And then uh, it uh, evolved and turned into TrueCon. And we uh, up in Canada, we uh, competed in their version of um, <clears throat> uh, Star Search, which was called Rock Wars. And one of the producers of the show was uh, Oscar Peterson's niece, uh, Sylvia Sweeney, who was the captain of their Olympic women's basketball team. Wow. She sent a tape from that show to a friend of hers who was producing Star Search. And then we ended up uh, competing and winning that as well. No kidding. Rock Wars sounds so not Canadian. Doesn't that hey, sound so I, like hard and <laughs> rough and scary? Rock Wars. The Canada yeah, I know, be like, I know, but that's winners. <laughs> but, you know, but we were playing like, you know, we were, we were playing Funk Fusion and we won. <laughs> awesome. Wow. So that, that's, how did you shadow. get to? Like I said, he sees hey, me on Gotta, he's got to come and get some because he's like, you might be sitting in front of that screen all day. <laughs> You're doing a lot of these. Uh, I was telling O'Teal, I did, I did five and a half miles with my dog today just to because I knew we were doing this. Sorry, one minute. I got to close the door. No. <laughs> dog eats first. It's kind of neat that that golden exactly. circle. When she sits, it kind of looks like a like a, like a halo. <laughs> Sorry, real Roman Catholicy type halos. <laughs> I was saying with that golden, like if to see, can you see yourself right now? You've got yes. an incredible halo over it, your it's head. A mirror. It looks perfect. It's a mirror. I love it. It looks great. <laughs> so there, you went there from a few uh, things that I I carry with me no matter where I live, and I had that in Montreal. So it's been to Montreal. It's been to Minneapolis, nice. <laughs> and it's here. Uh, did you go to Minneapolis from Montreal? Is that where you went? Well, uh, after we won um, Star Search, and we did a record, and that, and that band ended up breaking up, and I started touring with different people. And I had the great opportunity to meet Felicia Collins and Jan Pulsford, you know, who were playing with the Thompson Twins, and Felicia... Is a great guitar player who's played for Letterman, and she was playing with the Thompson Twins. And uh, then she, anybody that Nile Rogers produced, she was like Niles' protege. So she would go out and, you know, play live, you know, because she, yeah. you know, he, he and her, they had a thing. And she plays just like him, and she's just, you know, she's got so much going on. She's just a fantastic guitar player. She's great. So uh, at one point, she ended up with Cindy Lauper. And, um, like I said, we became friends when she was with the Thompson Twins. And uh, she got a call from Paul Schaefer to audition for the Letterman Band. And uh, she ended up getting a gig, and then Cindy needed a guitar player. So she called me, and she said, hey, you want to come down and audition for this? I was still in Montreal. I was still married to my first husband, who was a bass player. Uh, <laughs> so I went down and auditioned, and uh, Phoebe Snow was there. And, you know... Uh, Felicia prepped me pretty good. Cindy's 
pretty tough when she's first getting to know you and she wants what she wants, how she wants it. And, you know, I'm playing something that's got Wawa in it and I'm playing it. She's like, okay, that's good, but can you dance? I said, well, if I don't have my foot on this Wawa pedal, I could probably could. <laughs> so Phoebe Snow starts laughing. She's like, you got to keep this kid. She's funny. <laughs> so I, I thank Phoebe Snow, God rest her soul, because I think she kind of helped me get that get that gig so we became friends after that um and um so that started my tour life with cindy and um at one point she said hey i'm gonna take some time off and i'm gonna start my family so i probably won't be touring and um i went to a nam show uh myself and Rhonda smith we were uh um uh, showing showcasing guitars for Godin Guitars, which is a Montreal uh, Canadian based uh, guitar company, which, you know, was one of my first sponsors to, you know, actually bought an ad with my face on it into Guitar Player Magazine, which I think had never been done for black female guitar players. Nice. So nice. Big up to Godin Guitar. Um, and uh, I got to the NAMM show and met Sheila walking the halls, you know, oh. you say hi and it's a quick thing. And uh, then Rhonda and I went over to the Mesa, which is the European version of NAMM. And we were playing in the booth and Sheila comes in and says, oh, I'm coming back and I'll bring my friends. And she brought in, in, in Dugu and a bunch of folks. She was over oh. there and next door oh. at another booth was Jennifer Batten. So I met them all there. Wow. And, and one friendships came from there and then... <clears throat> Sheila got in touch with me and Rhonda and said, hey, you know, I'm putting together a female super band. I'm talking to Wendy Lisa. I'm talking to Michelle Degacello. I'm talking to these people. Send me some of your stuff, you know, send me, you know, do you guys play different styles? So, you know, we got this promo package together and we sent it to them. We were like, <laughs> and um, then uh, she reached out and she says, hey, I sent that package to Prince because he just fired his old band and he wants to play with girls. So initially, we were all supposed to play with him, but things turned around and changed. And uh, I think Sheila got really ill. She was on tour. She got really ill in Japan. Oh, and, no. you know, the, he ended up calling Rhonda first. Rhonda went up and auditioned yeah. and played on um, the, 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 the triple album that we all did together. And um, then I ended up coming a little bit later, you know. So Rhonda ended up playing on Emancipation and yeah. uh, working with him. And then I came up, like I said, a month and a half later. And that's how that happened. Yeah. And you did three records with them, too. Uh, it was a new power generation at that point. Yeah. Well, it was always new power. It's just many versions of new power, you know. Yeah. Um, He's, you know, it, 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 it's a concept of, you know, and there's always musical chairs depending on what he wants to do. Sometimes we were two guitar players. Sometimes it was me and Mike Scott. Sometimes it was Mike only and him. Sometimes he didn't want to play and it was both of us together. You know, I had a Godin guitar that was a synth and he's like, okay, Mike's doing that. Okay, you do something different. And I took a flute solo on the guitar and he went like, oh, we're going to use that and do me, baby, when I change my coat. And... <laughs> You know, we were just, ah, it's so <laughs> and great. Morris was the only keyboard player. So sometimes I'd use the synth to, you know, play harmony parts with him. And he was just um, very much into, you know, pushing the envelope as to where the technology could go. Cause he, you know, he wouldn't go to the NAM, but he's like, go to the NAM and tell me what they're doing new. <laughs> you know, so like, <laughs> you know, we'd be the lookouts to, oh, 
this is happening or that is happening, you know? So he was always very interested in innovation and, um, you know, how people were pushing the envelope and nice. what was out there. Yeah. So unbelievable. I mean, just, and such an underrated guitar player. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when I was reading up about you, I saw you played with quite a few like old school people too, like Big Mama Thornton, Benny King, Bo Diddley, Odetta, Phoebe yeah, Snow. That, that, that stuff happened in Canada mostly because we were um, the band True Crime. We were a house band at one point at this club called The Rising Sun, which was the premier jazz club for years that black musicians who couldn't play in the states who weren't allowed to play in some of the larger more you know more popular clubs you know just like jackie robinson came to canada to play baseball mm -hmm. a lot of the jazz musicians came up and they played there so uh the owner uh found out about us as we came into town and he's like hey you know I've got Esther Phillips coming in. I've got Bertha Kitt coming in. I've got, and we were all just fresh out of college. We were like, yeah, sure. We'll play with them. We, <laughs> you know, That's we just great. jumped in, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I remember meeting Art Blakey and he came in with a band. He called himself Art Blakey and the Young Lions. And the yeah. Young Lions were the Marcellus brothers playing together with him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I met them when they were with, they called him, you know, Papa Art, because, you know, yeah. Art was the father of everybody. You know, yeah. if he said yes, then you were yes. You know, so, yeah. So, I saw yeah. that tour actually in D.C. Well, I yeah. think Branford and Billy Pierce was on tenor saxophone. Exactly. That was the one. Yeah. And, and oh so my he God. was so old then. And he, you know, uh, Mike Art Blakey had this thing when he would play. Old dark skinned black dude had some little fro and his eyes would roll back and his head, his tongue would come out. And he was just driving it. I yes, mean, he was so it. old and it just like driving it so hard. And the young guys, you know, they were young, like twenties uh, yeah. young. And he was just <laughs> had his foot up their ass. You know, I was like, and, wow. And, and Kenny Kirkland was there as well. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, wow. serious. So that made me wonder, like, you know, I, I haven't played with a lot of my heroes. My career took a, a left. I was wondering, which of your heroes did you meet and actually get to work with? And uh, was it good or bad? <laughs> um, um, You know, I mean, I got to meet a lot of people as far as work with a lot of them. Yes and no. But I, I mean, like I said, any experience, there are no accidents you're supposed to have that experience yeah. and just if it's nothing but a confirmation of you might not be getting the feedback you want but this is the feedback you need you know Amen so i've met bb king i didn't get a chance to play with him but we're sitting backstage and he handed me lucille which mm. it was strung so heavy that i could barely get sound out of it because his hands yeah. When he shook my hand, and my hands are big. He shook my hand, my hand disappeared. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> because, you know, he was a boxer, so he had that yeah. the big old meaty hands and my little skinny fingers. And, you know, he's like, baby, if you serve the blues, the blues will serve you. <laughs> 
<laughs> you yeah. know, and then he's talking when we talk so long, he's like, they want me to show up at this college next week. And I didn't even finish regular elementary. I didn't finish regular school. What am I going to say to them? I said, what you say on stage every night? Your voice is your voice. You're there because, you know, I'm like, I'm giving like encouragement to B.B. King. But he, he's like, you went to college? I said, yes, sir. He's like, well, what am I going to say? What you saying to me? It's invaluable, you know? Yeah. You know, I got to meet uh, Joe Pass up in, up, up in oh. Canada. He also let me touch his guitar, which really? if you touched it with a feather, it would just sing. You know, the setup was all the strings were close, close, close. And it's almost if you whisper, you could ghost it and his tone and everything. I, I suppose he probably did it as time goes on. Maybe his touch got a little bit weaker, but he was still playing lightning fast and accurate and just beautiful. And just, you know, I got to meet John McLaughlin, who let me play that crazy scowled out strap with the, you know, yeah. scowled out like the sitar. And that was back. And he's like, we're going to touch something really crazy. I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, 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 I have been, you know, so blessed and so lucky. You know, wow. I, I went in to do a, a, a film session for the film Alfie and uh, Mick Jagger was there. And I didn't even know Mick played guitar. And, you know, we ended up all doing something, jamming together. And then the Mac, the system, the digital recording system kept crashing, 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 crashing. And we just ended up jamming and talking about health and food and life. It's the, it's the offstage stuff. Sometimes it's just yeah, being cool so, and being a good hang and being, you know, and then with and friends, a lot of those people came and jammed with friends. And then, you know, we all became friends and stayed in touch. I mean, Carlos Santana came and sat in with us. We had prepared this whole big Santana medley and blah, blah, blah. We just jamming and, and it was fantastic. And later on down the line, he marries one of my best friends, Cindy Blackman. And we're friends, you know, wow. we're family. So, you know, blessed life, huh? Absolutely. You see the pillows. (laughs) Absolutely. If it's on the pillows, it has to be. I mean, hey, I got to, you know, any day that there's a pity party that might happen, I keep them there so I can see it. It's like you are blessed because, hey, how many musicians do we know that, you know, didn't do well, died alone, you know? You know, got 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 strung out on drugs. You know, tragically gone. You know, so yes, the blessing is 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 the blessing is ever present, even in the midst of chaos. Is what I just try to tell people. It's just the chaos has your attention right now. It's not more important than the blessing. It's loud. It's messy. It's mean, but it's not more important. You know. It's just not, and I'm just not. You hear, you hear my house right now. Do you hear any news playing? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> when I want news, I do like my dad used to do. I, I pull up the sites of the news that I trust. I read it like it's a newspaper. And the good thing about a newspaper, the best thing, you can close it up, and put it away. <laughs> I don't need. 
to read it 24 hours a day. I don't need someone to tell me about what my mind is saying when it reads it. I don't need uh, someone's opinion, you know? Um, right. And during a Cindy Lauper, we did an Armistice Day over in Europe where they had the big D-Day celebrations and we got a chance to meet. He was in the lobby restaurant after the gig. Got a chance to meet Walter Cronkite and his wife who were there at one o'clock in the morning having the biggest medium rare cheeseburgers you ever seen in your life. Now they had to be in their seventies and they are out there eating burgers and fries like two little kids, you know, he joined our table. He talked to us. He said, okay, where's everybody from? I'm sure I've been to your city. And it was a table of 11 people and everybody told him the little town and he gave each person a little tidbit about their town where you would know that he had been there. That's a news guy. He just yeah. gave you the facts. No opinions. Yeah. No nothing. I remember when Kennedy died in his face and he mm. said it. And even though he was hurting too. Just, just I, I got my own opinions. I, you know, the whole this whole news for ratings, this whole, you know, get everybody into your drama. Yeah. Yeah. Just the facts. Just the facts. Yeah. yeah. But like I said, do you hear it? <laughs> no, definitely not. It's, I'm, it's I'm, an, and, no, and you know, it's I, when the updates come up about Corona. You know, I might put it on for our governor because I'm here in California and they're always changing stuff. And even that is on closed caption and I read it. <laughs> I, I don't care to hear. I don't care to have that frequency in my house. I, you know, your, your, your home space is your sacred space. And if you cannot make that safe for you and safe for your psyche and safe for your uh, ability to create, then you need to change what you're doing. If I, in my humble opinion. Yeah. You know, oh, how do you, how do you stay up? Well, open up my newspapers. I see what all of them are saying that looks the same, which is probably the one grain of truth inside it, not how they're saying it. Well, just the fact only. And then I go on about my day. You know? Yeah. That That's it. But that's not changing what I usually do anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's just more amplified because I'm home longer. And my dog is like, you're not on tour. Yay, let's wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> 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 Even if I go to bed at 3, if I've been up recording all night, it's six o'clock in the morning when he's sunshine. Dogs you know, so care. if I don't feel like it, like he's my alarm clock, you know. So he's like, You're still here? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast because you you anybody that still has their smile, I'm up and down. I let myself go up and down. I try to take oh, myself yeah, not, away from people. Say but, I don't have bad days, but I have uh, visible reminders in my house. Yeah. 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 It's those secrets, though, because, I mean, you and I, and I'm sure Mike, too, in the comedy business, geez, you know, we're around so many people. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much fame you have. You can have the perfect everything. And they kill themselves or they die alone hey. and unhappy. And I'm like, what is this? This fame thing. There's very few, like, Dolly Partons out care. there. 
good, bad, rich or poor, life and death is something we all share. We're human beings. All of this race mess, that was some bored German physicist that figured, ah, human beings need to be color-coded. Let me come up with that. Oh, please. <laughs> That's right, I said it. That's right, because it's true. Come at me, I'll fight you. One race, human race, Amen. You know, I was looking at Mars Attacks the other night, you know, with the that, 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 you know, and I'm like, if there were an alien race that came down and decided we all tasted like chickens, like we were in a bag of m and do you think they would care what part of the earth they plucked us off before they ate us? No. The human what? race tastes like chicken. We're going to eat them all. <laughs> And that's the only thing that would unite people right about now is some outside force that says, you are all delicious and we don't, we don't care if you're Russian delicious or U.S. delicious or Mozambique delicious. You're just delicious. <laughs> looks it. like a buffet to us. Yeah, yeah. you know, you know. Still, you know, you're still an M&M. You're still, you know, you're still chicken. You know, you, you, you're still delicious to them. You, you, we don't want the whales. We don't want the mammals. We don't want the animals. We want the human beings. <laughs> That's what we want. Then we would get it together. Yeah, we would. All, we? This, tri all yeah. this tribalism, it's just, it's just gone to the... And, and, and the thing is, at least there's some part of the human race that realizes tribalism and they embrace it. In America, they don't want to even use that word because it's uncivilized. Yeah. But that's the worst type of tribalism. We don't want to just call it what it is. And you stay in your little dream. So a lot of this dream deferred stuff and all of this chaos. Years ago, when my parents were voting, that was your right. You didn't even talk about who you voted to, to your friends. You know, you went out and you did that, but that was your own secret thing. That's why they had the boots with the, with the, with the screens and the, you know, the, my mom and dad used to vote. They had the boots with the curtain and you go in there and you close the door and you, you know, it's your thing. You know, and, and, and until, you know, when we were together, I was having a discussion with a guy, you, you were there. I was like, dude, why are we demonizing each other for the choices we make? That's the hallmark of freedom. That is the hallmark of freedom. Have the choice to choose what you want. You got yeah. two brothers in the back seat. They go to McDonald's. One wants a chicken sandwich. The other one wants a fillet of fish. Are they going to fight each other because they want to eat something different? No. Yeah. <laughs> they going to order what they want and enjoy it and sit next to each other. Go, <laughs> and they might talk a little stuff. Uh, chicken is the best. So, you know, fish is the best. So you got a difference. You got an argument. But they're not going to demonize each other because one wants something, the other one, you know. And if mama says, look, I got money for hamburgers. Y'all going to starve or y'all going to eat them hamburgers? Then and when mama say eat the hamburgers, guess what? You have one choice. Hunger. Hamburger. <laughs> That's right. Eat the hamburger. <laughs> that's why i say you're good at the tough love <laughs> when she was at the gig you know people were i was trying to talk to cat and people kept coming up and saying stuff and i remember <laughs> i was one time i think you were off you were off a couple of feet away and nigel was acting up and i heard you say i'll beat you with your own belt <laughs> my, my brother used, used to say that to my brothers when they thought they could get away from a little beating. You know, she'd make them go 
Go to the what she had. She called it the switch tree. When you get the little switch, I mean, it still wasn't much, but that she would humiliate you that you would have to go outside and people would have to see you go to that tree. So they knew it. Uh, and, you know, her brother yeah. came in and he was holding on to his belt. She's like, I'll beat you with your own belt. <laughs> <laughs> and all the rest of us kids would just fall out laughing. I think half of it she did to make us laugh at him so he would feel even worse about the stupid stuff he did. You know, so. Did you have a big family? Uh, yeah, I'm the eldest of seven. Wow, no kidding. Yeah. Any other musicians in the family? Not a one. But really? my father was a big audiophile. He had records from all places. He even had records that he bought back from Germany of uh, Ella Fitzgerald and a lot of uh, jazz artists who recorded only over there. Like he had the 33 and thirds. He had a copy of that record where Ella is like, where she's singing High High the Moon, and she's like, you probably don't know what I'm singing, but I'm singing it just for you. Oh, yeah. She had like an original that he bought over there that had the German writing. and But, you know, seven kids, he kept all the stuff in the room locked away. He just put the speakers out there for us. (laughs) (laughs) These kids getting my record collection is going to be all over, but... There was a lot of music playing in our house a lot of times. He was a total jazz guy. He wouldn't even let us listen to the radio. To him, anything on the radio that was not jazz was noise. But my mother, she loved everything. She she loved Marian Anderson and and, and Leontine Price and, and 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 Odetta. Who you know, she let me. She's like, okay, you want to play this guitar thing? Let me show you somebody that looks like you that's playing guitar. Nice. And, um, and you as, play with Odetta, right? As fate would have it, years later, I got a chance to meet her. And, uh, yeah, we became friends until she left this planet. Yeah. Wow. Did that freak your mom I out? I didn't get a chance to play with her, but we jammed, you know, because we were at, I met her at a, at a festival in Halifax. It was a, a roots and gospel festival in Halifax, and I was there with the Montreal Jubilation Gospel Choir. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, all having a concert in this church, and I guess she was on the bill and we were doing a sound check and I'm, you know, I'm playing and I'm not paying attention and we're in a church and I'm trying to get the sound check right. And there's, uh, we did a version of Oh Mary, Don't You Weep. And I kind of scat the melody. So I'm, I'm scatting the melody and my eyes are closed and I look up and there's a woman walking down the aisle with her arms stretched oh. and I'm nearsighted. So I can't really see her, but I'm like, this is a woman. And she's having a moment. And she walks up. And she gets to me, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's Odetta. Wow. That's oh, awesome. Man. And she was like, she's like my my, my guitar my guitar spirit mom. So to meet her there was just overwhelming, and we just became friends after that. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. the stuff that matters right there, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Get, getting into stand-up comedy and my, my grandfather and I would watch certain shows and my if my grandfather liked it, then it was good. Yeah. Even if I didn't like it. If he liked it, I'm like, I'll learn one day. This One day I'll understand Monty Python. <laughs> one day I'll understand Benny Hill. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. And then I got to know a couple of the comedians and work with a couple of the comedians that he turned me on to. And I was just so proud and so happy to call him and be like, you'll never guess who I got to, you know, who I'm working with. And it made him happy, you know, and it's just it makes it that extra special. And then you tell that person, 
you go, you know, my grandfather means the world to me and he turned me on to your comedy and how cool. And he's like, geez, I'm that old, you know, so kind of, <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, but yeah, it's when that family connection comes in too, it just makes it all that much more powerful. Absolutely. Who are some of your, uh, or a person that's not famous that really impacted you that had a big influence on you? Um, I mean, members of my family, and and there's one who's still alive, and she's born the same day as me, and that's my eldest. Now, now she's kind of lost all of her siblings. It's my father's um, uh, second eldest sister, my aunt Velma, who's born on January third, just like me, and she always lets me know. You know, I was supposed to be at my birthday party, and I was at the hospital waiting for you. It was going to be a good birthday party. <laughs> and she's just, she's just fantastic. You know, uh, she's, she's up and around. She's doing her thing. You know, she's still with us, not moving as much, but she would always be the one, you know, of, of all my aunts who would have, you know, the newest running suit and the tennis shoes to match. And she would walk. She was almost more in shape than her own kids. And, you know, I can call her right now. and She got jokes. You know what I mean? And she, you know, kind of pushes me forward. She's like, you always doing that music thing. You still be doing that music thing. Don't stop me. Whatever thing you're doing, you just do it. You know what I mean? And um, she, you know, even though her, as she went through a Christmas where she lost one of her brothers and two of her kids, and she still, you know, found a way to just be here and have something. Well, I guess I'm still here because I'm supposed to be still here. You know, and um, she is absolutely uh, a light in my life. You know, she absolutely is. Yeah, anybody that can lose kids and keep, I mean, that's, now that I finally have kids, I've realized, like, that's the worst. You don't want to outlive your kids, even if you're old, really old. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she was taking care of my cousin who had come back from Vietnam in a terrible state and he was in a wheelchair and she took care of him until the day he passed. And another of her daughters uh, had been in in, in hospice because she had some complications with cancer and a few other things. And in a two-week period, the two of them were gone and her youngest brother, my father's, youngest brother uh, of my uncle car they all were gone in december and then her youngest son who's a pastor had to eulogize them all so it was pretty heavy and and we weathered it you know we weathered it well you know all we could do at the funeral was well the two of them were arguing about blah 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 you know what i mean and when i eulogized my father he his friday uh i got my check was uh Miles Davis sketches of Spain. Whenever that was on, we knew he was in a good mood. And um, I put that on before I started the eulogy and my siblings started to laugh. And people at the funeral were looking at her like, what are they laughing about? I said, well, they know what this means, but as kids, you know, because he wouldn't let us listen to our music, it was almost like a Muppet show because we would just get in the room and go, <laughs> we would just, we would make fun of the music until he sent us outside. 
So, we, <laughs> so as kids, we learned those melodies because we were trying, you know, we thought it was a cartoon. We were like, dad's making us listen to this cartoon music. Because, you know, if it didn't sound like something we were listening to, like a James Brown, blah, 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 to us, it was like, okay, this is daddy's music. We don't want to be in the house. Let's just make a joke out of it. Is that a concerto de Aranjuez? Yes, exactly. <laughs> we, had twin, exactly. we had twin childhoods because, man, that was my set. Sisters are not musicians. If you put that on, they get hum every melody because he would just play it. That's my Friday. Got my check. I'm listening to Miles. I'm having a beer. Don't bother me. Oh, and what I didn't mention was my mom passed when I was 11. Oh, wow. So, um, you know, it was his way of the highway. You know, when my mom was with us, you know, there was less of a, you listen to this music, this is your music. You know, he would come home, you know, music would be playing that she wanted, but the food was prepared and the kids were happy. So he, you know, but once she passed, it was, you know, so, um, so yeah. You said you're the oldest of seven? Yes. And she died when you were 11? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So you a were lot. The, you, were, did you become the the mom? Yeah. Well, my dad was Army, so he just looked at us as soldiers, and so I was the sergeant at arm yeah. under the troops. <laughs> Second in command. <laughs> and, if, and if they didn't do right, then I got in trouble, they got in trouble, everybody got in trouble. So. Jeez. And then I broke ranks and started playing guitar and sneaking off the gigs. And stayed uh, in trouble and was a bad example. <laughs> yeah, it was a bad example. Yeah. Wow. How old were you when you started playing? Um, I got my first guitar at nine and a half. I, you know, because I just, I just pushed my mom into, you know, getting me one because all the other kids had guitars and I was taking piano lessons, but we didn't own a piano, but I was taking lessons from a man who lived in our neighborhood. The problem is he was my teacher, but I also had to practice. So I would practice there too. And I wouldn't get a break to like mess up and just practice. He'd be like on me. Mm. And I, it just made me just dread it. <laughs> and I was like, mom, all the boys have guitars, you know, and there were more boys on our block. There was only one other girl on our block. And she wasn't at all interested in music. So I would just hang out at the board. You know, they'd be outside on the back porch just making noise. And I'm like, I want one, I want one, I want one. And she, uh, she ended up buying me one. And uh, they had a, a little Sunday section paper. Learn how to play this song in X amount of lessons. And, you know, you have the comics and the blah, blah, blah. In the little section of the paper that has stuff to keep your kids busy while you read the Sunday paper. So um, she ended up getting me going to Sears and getting me one of those little, you know, acoustic starter kits and the thing, you know, and uh, yeah, that's when I started. So I started doing gigs and, you know, uh, talent shows and all that stuff. By the time I was 12, 13, I was 5'10". So, you know, I could do those gigs and as long as I didn't drink or anything, they thought I was older than I was because I was tall. So, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. When did you finally go AWOL? <laughs> Uh, my father just kicked me out. You know, he's like, you are a bad example. Even though you are tutoring your brothers and sisters, help me do this thing. You're okay. You have an, uh, you know, a, you know, a 90, 95, 96 point average, you know, mm-hmm. you have A's, you have B's, you have no C's and D's, but this is too much. You know, you're just not a good example. So I came home and my stuff was on the front lawn. The, the lock was changed and the kids with it. He told us not to let you make it out. Wow. But I, yeah, 
that was my first year of college. He was like, okay, this is enough. <laughs> See, I always think of you as the good example. Like, you know, all the craziness going on in the music world. I think, oh, thank God, there's Kat. That's somebody I know. We going to bed early together, you know. Like, <laughs> Oh, wow. Well, see, that's why I'm in, I'm in silly mode now. See, people think I'm very serious, but, you know, that's that was then. This is now. <laughs> hey there, Osiris listeners. I wanted to tell you about our friends over at Smart Wolf. For more than 25 years, Smartwool has been making merino wool socks and apparel designed to keep you comfortable. Because they want to help you play, laugh, and explore in the outdoors with every thread they knit and every step you take. Because they believe that comfort sharpens focus and lets you perform beyond your limits. They are here to help you feel good. Now, it's up to you how far you will go. Take 15% off of your first order at smartwool.com. Smartwool. Go far, feel good. One of the funniest things to me when I, I was looking at all the people you played with, because I knew a fair amount of them. But I was like, wow, okay, this is really great. Prince, Natalie Cole, Ziggy Marley, Cindy Lauper, Seal, I could go on and on. But you have the unique and probably the only person that has played both with George Clinton and P Funk and Donnie Osmond. How many people can say that? Talk about going with the flow, man. Not at the same time. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, yeah. you know, George, I met through Prince. And, you know, we just kind of, like, fell out laughing. And um, his his tour manager, uh, Jeff Fogarty uh, Jr., I, I don't know if he goes by Jr., Jeff Fogarty, who is uh, actually going through some health uh challenges right now i want to send out prayers and, and big up to jeff you're gonna be all right man we all became friends and so whenever george would come into town i ended up going there he's like come on cat sit in come on cat sit in should have been one song <laughs> then 45 minutes later and they turn the lights on in the, in the house of blues i'm still on stage i'm like george you ain't paying me what <laughs> i need to get paid <laughs> and every time i would try to leave he would break the band down <laughs> come on cat <laughs> he, he, he do he knew I was trying to leave the stage. He knew. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Donnie, um, uh, that's a different story. Um, after uh, my stint with Prince, the first part of it, at least, and we were all in, in town, and he was doing different records. And when he's in the studio, he plays everything, so he didn't really need me there. And uh, I got a call from Sheila, uh, Sheila E., saying... Um, I just got the MD gig for Magic Johnson's new TV show. Why don't you come on in and do it? And and uh, and I went, and we did that show, and uh, it lasted for as long as it lasted. They signed us for five years. We got canceled after nine weeks. I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, as I was packing out at center staging, this guy comes to me, and he says, are you Cat Dyson? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I've been looking for you. I'm like, really? <laughs> and uh turns out he was the md for the donnie and marie the new donnie and marie tv daytime talk show uh, produced by dick clark uh and they had a band and he's like uh um we're looking for a girl guitar player because marie is there and she wants a girl in the band and i'm like okay and um 
I ended up doing that and uh, it turned into, once that was done, Donnie started touring and doing stuff and me and Paul Peterson uh, from uh, the family who also sang the original Nothing Compares to You. He's a great bass player, drummer, keyboard player. Paul is so greedy, he played everything. So uh, from doing TV, it's, you know, it's still off of that Prince Tree, you know, through Sheila. Sheila is, you know, has been uh, my facilitator uh, in, in a lot. Our friendship and, and you know, and her belief in what I could do has uh, fueled my career. So um, it turns out that Donnie had such a love for R&B and such a love for you know, Stevie Wonder and Earth, Wind & Fire and Jackson 5, and, you know, all the stuff. So from that TV show, I started working and touring with it. So, wow. yeah, that's how that happened. You know, I, I always think about the, and I think, Otil, we may have talked about this recently, that I'm fascinated by musicians who have that versatility gene. Not everyone can do what you've done, where you, you know, you take a, a member out of their band and they're a fish out of water and they don't know how to live. You somehow are able to adapt and react to so many different, you know, alpha circumstances where you're able to go in and go, all right, I'm going to play with George Clinton. I'm going to play with Prince. I'm going to play with Osmonds like that. What do you think it is in your personality that makes you able to do that? Greediness, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I was learning how to play, I had the radio. I didn't have YouTube. I didn't have money for tons of albums. The only record player in my house was my dad. So we we bought cassettes. We we had eight tracks. You know, until yeah. I'm aging myself now, but I don't care. Um, I would sit at the radio and wait for my favorite songs and just learn them. And uh, years of playing in cover bands where we just played music. And that's, that gave me more money than my allowance. Hmm. So I just learned to, and with my father forcing us to listen to jazz, I said, I'm going to learn everything but that. Because to me, when I was a nine and a half year old kid, he's like, he put West Montgomery on. I don't know what you learn it. And all that Beatle and all that Rolling Stone, all that rock and roll loud stuff. This is a guitar player. And, you know, I'm a kid. I'm like, Dad, that's two or three guys. Well, I just need one guy. To me, <laughs> West Montgomery sounded like a whole course of guitar player. <laughs> I had no concept of what he was doing. And I'm like, Dad, it's not fair. That's a couple of guys. It's just his name up there, but there's somebody else. You know, I'm like little, and I'm arguing with him. <laughs> so... Uh, music just became a a way to not grieve but get over my grief because my mother the last thing she bought me and put in my hand was a guitar and I had to be strong for my brothers and sisters because my father didn't want to come home and find everybody crying and in a mess so between the guitar and and doing crazy cartoon voices I kind of had, had to keep everybody when they would ask where's mom and you got to say it over and over again um, it's, it, it was a savior. So music was a savior. So I, I treated it like it was a buffet. And whenever I was, you know, emotionally hungry or emotionally depleted, it was my buffet. It was my food. It was, so I, I learned to love and attack all styles as if it were a challenge. So I just That's tried awesome. to learn as much about as 
all styles of music as I could and learn to love it, you know. And then yeah. in Virginia, and until you can attest, a certain point in time, if your band wasn't integrated with the right amount of blacks and whites, there were clubs you couldn't even play at. There were places you couldn't even get jobs. Um, and I think to this day, my band was the only all black band that played in some of these clubs uh, because our manager at the time, and that band was called Weekend Affair, shout out to them. Um, he was the head of, uh, uh, you know, the whole sanitation. He was one of those sanitation department managers and he would pick up the garbage and do all the stuff for all the, 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 the mafia, beach mafia guys. And he would, you know, make sure that their garbage got picked up. He had inside, he had an inside track. And um, so, you know, we would play at some of these clubs and we would do stuff like a Sweet Home Alabama or uh, Hotel California. And it would be me and another guitar player and we would play these solos. And, you know, some of the clients in there didn't like it, but they had to sway to it because we just learned it. Mm-hmm. it. We liked it too. And it's like, how come y'all <laughs> playing that song like that? you know i had guys i had you know long-haired you know biker dudes sitting next to my amp put the ear next to the amp because they thought i was faking i've I've had all kinds of crazy stuff but it was but you know when you got a radio in front of you we don't know what color they are it's like you know it's it's music i liked it was a guitar solo i liked you know and and i ended up doing a fundraiser um, for the uh, L.A. Children's Hospital, and it was a big all-star band uh, with Randy Stern. Shout out to Randy. And we got to play with Seal, and we got to play with uh, Mick Fee. Timothy? Timothy? I can't tell you why. That's oh, Timothy. yeah, right. Uh, yeah. 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 And, um, you know, we did crazy, and I and I played that, that, that solo. And, um, Seals wasn't there for the rehearsal, uh, but his manager's people were there. And they say, uh, can you play that song again? And we played it again. And I played solo again. And then Seal shows up the next day and says, uh, I hear that you play that solo note for note. He's like, I hired that guy and I can't get him to play it note for note. And I'm like, <laughs> it's the solo of the song. It's perfect. Why should I? <laughs> Same That's thing awesome. with Timothy that I can't tell you why I, you know, as a kid, I learned that thing from the, and then that's when they, you know, when they let the solo ride out and there was a long guitar mm-hmm. solo, I was like, yes, <laughs> yeah. And I had a telly and it's like, <laughs> and you know, and I just went back to my childhood and it, this is years later. He's like, I've never learned, I've never been with somebody who actually learned the whole thing to the end. So he just told the band to keep playing and I'm like, okay, I'll finish it. And he was just like, <laughs> I, love it. That's I awesome. was greedy. I was in Virginia. It was not a lot to do. Listen to the radio. I learned all this stuff. So there's a kind of an encyclopedia there, I guess. You know, it's just it's also the personality thing of it all too, because like you know, Prince has to be just completely different than Absolutely. you know the working on the Magic Johnson show or whatever. I mean, everything <laughs> is there. So you're, you're even your personality, you're able to. It's like an encyclopedia. Like you have to just be able to kind of go in, kill it. The thing about like, I get so worried sometimes about with, with art, with comedy, with writing for a show. Uh-huh. It's like 
the contract goes up, right? Or the season wraps, or you did a gig and now you have to worry about booking the next one. And you always kind of have that like, oh man, if I was better or if I was this person or if I was that, you know, like I wouldn't have to worry so much. And there was always that fear of like, I always feel like I had to have like three, four things going at once because I'd never trusted that life had my back, you know? You know what I mean? That's what my therapist is always like. The universe has your back. And I think I'm finally well, starting to believe that. Thanks to social media, I found a meme that works for me. And I realized that it's probably been that way all my life. And all it says is God is my agent. Because, you know. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you look you at know, someone. Yeah. It, and when I think logically about my journey, it makes absolutely no logical sense but whenever i needed what i needed it might not have been what i wanted but it was what i needed and it got me from point a to point b got me from point b to point c and points Mm. thereof when i just surrendered to that okay god i need this i like that and he would go but what do you need though that's important that's very important and and you know no matter how large or how small you know, a chance meeting would happen or a conversation with somebody would happen or, you know, I'd be somewhere and somebody would see me doing something and they would go, are you that? And I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so God is my agent. And they're really, and it, 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 at the risk of sounding esoteric and otherworldly, you know, there are no accidents in the universe as far as what your energy attracts, you know, yeah, yeah. It, there, there are no accidents in that. Uh, you know, quirky. Yes. Funny. Yes. Weird. <laughs> yes. Accidents. No. Yeah. Even no and matter how take, left field. Yeah. If you take each moment and really look at it for what it is and not just go, Whew, that was weird and go to the next, then you miss something. Yeah, totally. So I have learned to now pay more attention. Because every every domino of a chance thing has dropped the next domino in my life, and That's so cool. And I'm 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 just amazed and in awe of the rhythm of the dominoes. And sometimes it seems like things are standing still, but like I said, nothing really stands still. We think we're standing still now. No, we are we're not. Spinning. We're spinning real fast right now. <laughs> and we, we are being challenged to prove it to ourselves that we're not standing still yeah. because we are now in our own environment, you know, and how we manage our time and what we actually will do and what it actually takes to keep us happy because we're now all being forced to, to focus within rather than having so much outside noise and so much outside stuff doing that we forget about ourselves. So now it's like, okay, you're here with yourself. You can't escape yourself. So you gotta, you know, it, it, this is a, 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 what I call a period of, of, of not only self, self, uh, uh, you know, like, looking at yourself but it's also uh, a period of self-love you got if you didn't have it or if it wasn't strong or if it's something you didn't think about or if you based your self-love on what others had for you or did for you you're going to be challenged now to find it in your daily life within yourself it's like yeah. okay 
what do I dig about myself? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What do I need to work on? You know, now that I don't have that input of the stage, the this, the road life, the that, you know, as far as musicians are concerned, what do I do to get myself up? What do I do to get myself going? You know, what can I rediscover that I, I know I've been putting off? You know, all these things, because I think, you know, once all this lifts, we're going to need all that because we're going to be zooming. Yeah. We're going to be accelerating. And if we're not ready, then we have nobody to blame but ourselves because we're being given this period right now to get ready because That's a when it takes point. off, it's going to take off. Yeah, if, if I not take that. off in the direction that we're used to, I've been challenged to learn so much, you know, editing and all new this and ways to record and, you know, apps that I have that I'm only using maybe 30% of their features now. Oh, it does that? And I had it all the time? <laughs> Tutorials and, you know, putting up the cameras and, oh, do you have a green screen? And, ah, you know, and then you're finding things about, you know, like, taping in my house Any, anybody being it you know and i found out that i'm an extrovert introvert you know when i'm out in, in situations i'm an extrovert but in my home i'm really an introvert so at, when i first started doing oh well you know can you do the session sure can you do this digital thing sure i've been doing that for like five or ten years before this well can you film yourself doing it why <laughs> <laughs> me not sitting you the track is not enough can we see you do it why <laughs> you know but everybody's doing that so i had to kind of like get over my why and just <laughs> can you give us two or three angles of, so i got to be mr demille i got to be my own engineer i got to play the right notes and wait hair and makeup and i got to put on something i can't do the marble job because i gotta look good at it <laughs> and <laughs> so, do it for free your whole house has to turn into <laughs> This is the home studio production of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, that's oh, so awesome. <laughs> You're right, though. I think that's a great I mean, point. You know, it's, and it's, it's all going to... And it's like... Ev everyone's at the not, starting line right now. Is you a track of me playing not enough? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I and do it. I get so extra funny. money for that? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> It's the and pandemic yet, you get less, <laughs> if any. You know, is, and then that, and then mind. there's that. You know, people saying that you know what we do is non-essential. Well, playing those few gigs that yeah. you saw me at felt pretty essential to me. Yeah. You know, if I mean, all of this is to you know break down the largest export this country has in monetary input and output, the entertainment industry, and people can come for me if they want to. People lie in numbers, though. The entertainment industry, and it all is, with all its power, movies, art, television, music, concerts, records, that is the biggest export of the United States that brings in the most money because it touches on so many industries interwoven. So to say that that entire industry is non-essential, it's garbage. You turn off all the TV, all the content, you turn off all the music, all the content, you will have an implosion in the world. The world will explode. I don't care what the scientists say. I said it. Come for me. Let's fight. <laughs> it's true. Man. It's true. <laughs> Governor Cuomo in New York, they were talking to, you know, 
comedy club owners were like, what about comedy clubs? Aren't we essential? And he goes, I don't think there's anything essential about anybody getting together right now. He's like, of course we all need to laugh. Kind of gave that little kind of, you know, save face. Yeah. He has. Yeah. I mean, we've had to do it outside at drive-ins. We've had to do it on the roofs of buildings. Things on, on HBO. I saw a couple of those yeah, things. Yeah, man. It's hard. It's hard. And then you try to do comedy on a Zoom, and it's like, what do you do? You make fun of people's couches? You make fun of the paint on their walls? Yeah. Like, it's not, you know, it's all been taken, and it's, and but I think that's an extremely good point that you made that, like, when it, when it, when the, when the starting bell goes off, everyone's going to go zero to a hundred. We've been talking about now that there's talk of a vaccine, every single conversation I have is about, what do you think about the vaccine? Are you going to get the vaccine? If you get the vaccine, then we can do stand up, or we can go to concerts or we can do already. People are six months past the vaccine. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, all right, let's just, like you said, got like, Um, there's certain stuff that like, you just can't, God, we get so we're in a rush. We're extremely impatient beings. I mean, the thing, what this thing is doing, though, is showing you that your impatience doesn't mean anything because mm-hmm. this particular virus reacts not to something you can see, but to something that makes you function, your immune system. It's invisible, but it is visible. Yeah. You know, someone who works out, blah, blah, blah. I mean, my sister is a nurse practitioner and she just got a PhD, so she is Dr. Maria Holmes. Nice. She's like, we had a 26-year-old kid, athlete, blah, 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 looked fine. You know, within days, we almost lost him. Yeah. Not because of his outward appearance, not because of his, you know, we almost lost him because he had, you know, a weak immune system. And it just jumped on his lungs. And then we found out in his childhood, he was a childhood asthmatic. He got over it. But his lungs were already in a weakened state because of that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, a one size fit all vaccine for something that is so insidiously personal that it jumps on some and jumps off of others mm-hmm. to say you're going to come out with one shot that's going to fix all that. It's <laughs> <laughs> weird because my mom had it. She's 85. And <clears throat> I've have to let her speak for herself, but I think she feels like I did when I had it, that I had a lot of flus that were harder than that. A lot. I mean, See? I'm not going to say she breathes through it, but, you know, yeah. compared well, like, to like, other like, people, she like My grandmother, you know? Yeah, my grandmother and, and, felt good for a couple of days, and then it was weeks of awful, you know? And then, you know, they started by, by you know, when they started talking about Italy, as far as it being ground zero in Europe, they started reporting it wrong. Because my main source of uh, touring for the last year has been with Zucchero, who is Italian-based blues rock singer. Mm -hmm. And I've been talking to my friends that are in the band and in the crew. And in a lot of those cities where they said it's hitting old people and la, 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 la. Let me tell you something about the Italian family and the Italian healthcare system, because I've been in and out of there. People live so long, and they have such longevity that a lot of the a lot of the hospitals are not outfitted with all the new stuff, and they have such honor in their families. Some of the older people were like, "Luigi, you have twelve kids. You go. I- I've lived my life." A lot of those 
elderly people were saying, you go first. So they were Whoa. sacrificing themselves for their families and not that they were, they were susceptible. See, if they had said that human interest would have been involved, but I'm telling you because I talked to my Italian friends. So it was badly reported from the beginning. It hits people at 65 and over. No, those people 65 and over were like, Luigi, you take it. You go for the babies. You go and get the, you know what I mean? They were putting themselves on the line for the longevity of their families, by and large. See, nobody talked about that. So when it comes over here and it's hitting young people and old people, and, you know, I read a story about a kid in, in, in New York a couple of months ago, you know, got it from a school and blah, blah, blah. And he thought, oh, yeah, well, you know, she's young, blah, blah, blah. Three days later, the kid was gone. Yeah. Yeah. Because of, you know, the stupid media thing. Stop giving out bad information. If you're going to yeah. tell the truth, tell the whole truth. People could die from you parroting yeah. bad information. It's not about age at all. It's about the state of your overall health and immune immune uh, 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 system boosting up, which is not something that Western medicine even talks about. And I'm a cancer survivor, and I've been doing immunotherapy since cancer came. So I, I've been working on my immune system so cancer won't come back. So though my body might have that 10, 15 COVID pounds, my immune system is all sports <laughs> because I've been doing things so that the cancer would not return. Yeah. You know, and I'm not saying that I'm not susceptible because COVID is so weird. Nobody yeah. knows how it's going to jump or when it's going to jump. But I can say this, I haven't had the regular flu, flu since the cancer came. I haven't had the regular flu in over 10 years. Wow. Without a flu shot or anything. I haven't had any of that. And, I, you know, we get on those tour buses, 10, 15 people, and everybody's yeah. sick. And I'd be like, up, oh, having coffee. Everybody's in their bunk. Uh, yeah. And I'd be like, <laughs> You need to send me your uh, recipes. Yeah, please do. Because <laughs> I, I would like to oh, not have the flu for 10 you know, years. If I did, I'd have to kill you. Because, I, 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 you know, <laughs> once cancer came, I tried almost anything because it was all natural. So I've, yeah. I've done all kinds of crazy stuff. That, hey, I'm know. into any... I don't care which shaman, shaman or which doctor I'm in. Them, them people still around for a reason, and they didn't have all them doctors. Yeah, so, well, you know, you know. the thing Very that true. they're not saying out loud is that whole vitamin C. And when I had cancer, the, the vitamin C, the high-potency vitamin C drips were still legal. They stopped being legal after a while. And my sister tells me, that high doses of vitamin C is what's helping people get past this. And she works in three hospitals in the Virginia, in, in that five-city area. Yeah. And she's telling me what seems to be working. So if you can get a high-potency vitamin C, I mean, but I, I've been doing that anyway, mm. whether I needed to. See, so people only lean on their vitamins once they get something. It's like it's, <laughs> it has to be built up in your system. It's like having a gun, but you don't got no bullets, you know, right. or you got a stockpile of bullets, but you don't have a gun, you know, until you get in a fight and you go, oh, I need a gun. Now you're forging yeah. iron. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, wow. the whole vitamin regimen, like I said, I, I, I did it out of necessity to, to just maintain my life. 
So, you know, it, it has served me and, uh, you know, I'll just keep doing it. But I'll just um, ask you for it the, on the slide. <laughs> I the vitamin C you can get on, 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 on Amazon. It's called sea salts. And, you know, it, 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 it dissolves in water like Alka-Seltzer. You know, it's higher dose than all the stuff they sell in the little drugstores because you get a bottle of it and you can take as much as you can take. Hmm. It will it will flush you. It will shake your system up if you take too much. But it's not like that manufactured C where you go and you're urinating and it's orange. Yeah. Not that. It's high-potency C. It, yeah. You know, you just got to look for a high-potency C. And the thing is, if you take a little bit of it every day, once you find out what your system can handle, it's not going to hurt you because it's all food grade. It's all food. You know, food. Right. That's a secret, man. It's what we put in. We're putting yeah. in. Exactly. What do you think I mean, you're going to get you know, out? Something I did to myself or something that happened over years brought cancer to me. And, you know, with them coming up with, with chemo and all that stuff, we got a fast way to get it out of you. Dude, it took years. If it took years to get in, you know, yeah. hitting it with poison and then what any chemotherapy or any of that stuff does, it turns your immune system off. And right. at the end, they don't show you how to turn the switch back on so yeah. people don't end up dying of cancer they die of the complications of right. their immune system not turning back on and then pneumonia will kill them that's very true very very true you know or a yeah. cold will kill them yeah. or an infection will kill them because it's like this is a bad example you got a roach in your house and you throw a hand grenade in the kitchen trying to kill that one roach. Guess what? Your whole kitchen is blown up and the roach will probably shake it off and get away. Yeah. Well, it's like you start to see like bones breaking and stuff because of all the steroids that they're filling you with. And stuff. You know, it's, yeah. Now it's awful. That's what makes COVID and what it is because it's a plan to detox your system from all that poison. Right. Yeah. Jeez. So. Well, thank God you're healthy now and uh, and and spiritually uh, even healthier. It's so cool meeting you and, and talking with you. So cool being here, guys. I hope I haven't bored you. Since. Are you kidding? I love it. Man, I just so looked at the clock and I'm like, you. this went by so fast. But we would, you know, we always would love to have you back if you'd come back on and chat with us again and share more of your. Uh, maybe next time you can give us that that diet recipe or the the, the, the vitamin <laughs> recipe. To keep us well, all safe. I mean, you could save the world on this see podcast. See how you start. See is how you start. And, you know, yeah. you just, I mean, on tour, I, you know, I've been accused of being the bookworm because my, my, my <laughs> bunks would always be full of books or I'd just be in there just reading because, you know, I had to save my life. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, once my mom died, I got into wanting to know about health and because she, she passed of an, an aneurysm. She was perfectly healthy and she had an aneurysm Jesus. and she was gone. So, the pursuit of good health and learning anatomy and all this stuff has, like I said, I, I was science and math based in school. Uh, music was just an aside for me. So it's something that I was always fascinated and always reading and always wanted to know it myself because, you know, uh, I'll tell you a quick story about my dad. We used to always have to fight with him to make him go and get his yearly checkups. And one day he just got tired of me, just, Dad, go get your checkup. And he's like, remember when you were learning how to play guitar? I'm like, Dad, what does this have to do with anything? Remember when you were learning? I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, what did I used to tell you? I'm like, Dad, what does this have? What did I used to tell you? Practice makes perfect. He's like, yeah. Well, doctors are practitioners. When they get perfect, I'll go see them. 
Oh man. <laughs> Dads. Oh god. So, you wow. know, the thing is, <laughs> yeah. you if 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 your finger if your fingerprints are unique and your DNA is unique, there's no book out there that that's the Oteal book that your doctor has that I can right. treat Oteal totally with this book. Good point. It's a general book of a whole you know, a whole herd of humans and they found things that work, but we have to take the responsibility to learn about our health ourselves. And I have to say that eating right for my blood type was also part of what saved my life because I found out that certain proteins that I was ingesting all the time were actually working against my whole system because... Huh. The way they break down is poison to my blood. And if your blood is poison, which is, you know, the freeway to your whole body, then everything's messed up. I mean, I had fibroids and I found out, hey, but, you know, chicken and pork are poison to my system. And, you know, with all the steroid, with all the growth hormones that are in both of those meats and growing up in Virginia in the South, what did we eat? What was cheap? Chicken and pork. And it just pushed me into a state of, you know, being cystic. Wow. I got to find but out You have to learn. This. You have to read. Yeah. You have to, no doctor's going to tell you that here. Hmm. You have Eating to want to do it. You have it to want to know. Sense. You have to want to read. You have to want to get into your own thing. And the thing is, I would just do experiments on myself. I'd say, okay, I'm going to eat from this list because they say you have to, you know, have an alkaline, yeah. you know, friendly type of body. Rather, if it's going to be acidic, then you're going to have problems. So I said, okay, this is my alkaline list of foods. Let me do this for a month and see what happens. Then I would fast. I also do a lot of cleansing fasts. I've been doing that for over 20 years. You know, at certain points of the time of the year, I'm like, I'm going to fast for this amount of time and see how I feel. I mean, I, I use my own self as a guinea pig, and I, uh, and I keep a diary, and I... Good for you. I, I, I'm writing my own book for my own health, but you got to want to yeah. do it. You can't just say, okay, this guy told me to do that. Okay, I'm going to do that. Right. Totally. Yeah, I'm going to keep on cancer. running down the road doing what I'm doing because yeah. this guy it's told me to do It's a billion dollar industry, you know? Yeah. It's a billion dollar and, industry, and, diet and, books. And and... I do use Western medicine and I do use yeah. their tests and I do use their diagnostics and they let me know if what I did was right or wrong, or if I'm headed down the right track or if I'm not. And when I have a doctor to say, Hey, what'd you do? That changed. And I'm like, <laughs> I did it on my own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had doctors ask me that, uh, but you got to want to do it because this is, uh, this is our most, my most valuable asset. We only get one. Yeah. That's You're awesome. treating yours good. Yeah. Well, You're I'm, really doing great. My, I'm doing my best. I'm you doing are. The best I can. You know, I don't always get it right and I fall off and, you know, but, you know, you, you just got to refocus and, and because it'll let you know. Quit. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh you want to uh, do that? <laughs> you know, my knees are like too much running around playing sports and playing guitar. So my knees are like in a state like, okay, take care of us. Or you're gonna have to replace us. You know, so, you. <laughs> I have this place right now where they're both torn up from many different things during my career, and I've you know, got to do better things. But 
you know, I've, I've then got a couple of different alternatives. I got, you know, one therapist who said, do not do the replacement. Let me do this different therapy on it. And I'm going to make space because she is of the opinion that given space, the body will rejuvenate itself. It may take longer, but anything that's organic will come back if you give it the right situation. You know, I'm hoping. Awesome. (laughs) Well, we love you, Kat. Thank you so much for coming on. It's Thank so you so much. Where can you. everyone find you if they want to? Um, uh, I am on Facebook. I'm not hiding from anybody. There's no aliases <laughs> for me. It's Cat Dyson, and on um, on uh, Instagram, uh, you're gonna laugh. My nephew came up with this because evidently there are lots of Cat Dysons in the UK. So I am Kitty huh. Cat Deezy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, he's my nephew. He's like, Auntie, this is cool. This is cool. I'm like, every time I have to say it, my friends do exactly what you guys do. <laughs> All out laughing. But it's Kitty with a K, Cat with a K, and DZ, D E E Z Y. Kitty Cat DZ at Instagram. Um, oh, my man, website is awesome. so old, I have to get it done. I still have Flash uh, on it. I haven't updated it because I've been so busy on social media that I'm like, I got to I gotta get <laughs> Yeah, you don't even need it these yeah. days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, oh, but that's www.catdyson.com. Thank you so much. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm around trying to do good things with good friends and, you know, put some good vibrations out there. You know, I don't mm-hmm. always get paid for it and it's not always great and it's not always big and glamorous. But, you know, I figure if you try to do one good thing a day, you know, it's going to impact somebody. So. Amen. Thank you. You did a good thing for us, for sure. I'm going to go research my blood type. Hey, (laughs) I'm telling you. I mean it. Japan, Japan bases a lot of stuff on blood types, even hiring purposes, because they have a whole idea of what a blood type is, this type of personality. Wow. Just, just, it's a little reading. You have time. It's COVID. <laughs> we all got time now. Got it's time. a little reading. Uh, now yeah. everybody has homework. Thank you yeah. so much. Oh. Well, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm boring in my real life. I'm a bookworm, but, you know, <laughs> if it can help me get a better quality of life, Amen. Amen. then it's worth the hour or two to read it. I'll read it. Right. You know? Cool. <laughs> Oh, bless you, Kat. You have a good one today. And thank you, all All our Comes to Time listeners. We love you. Catch you next time, I love everyone. you guys. Thank Peace. you. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.